Well, good morning. Uh, we're in a series called Quest for Life, and uh, we've been talking about that the last few weeks, and it really is getting down to the issue for us of we run these lives that are just demanding. We keep running from one place to another. We go from one thing to another all the time, and it seems like our lives are usually running all the way through the day and collapsing at the end of the day, just wondering where the day went all too often. And we, we rarely, in looking back a lot of times, we look at what happened during those days or those weeks. If we end up on Friday night before they, before they settle down and things settle down, we end up on Friday night and we go, what happened this week? And I missed this priority. I wish I could have done this. And oh man, it was just so stressful. And what's it going to take is the question on this quest for life for us to live life really full, to not be driven by those things. Because we rarely find rest in life. We usually just go till we're empty and collapse, and then we sleep and we call it rest. But where is rest? And one of the theories, one of the premises of this whole series has been this, and we repeat it every Sunday just so we get it down, the idea that, that it's really found in deep reflection of ourselves. We, in order for us to really have life, we need to be able to be deeply reflective on who we are, what's going on inside of us, and bring that before God in a contemplative manner for Him to meet us there in order for us to really understand life. Because if we don't do that, if we're not deeply reflective on ourselves and bringing that stuff before God, then the reality is that most of the time we live our life according to the expectations of others. Sometimes we've assumed those expectations, but they really were the expectations of our boss or our family, and they become ours. But, but we live driven by other people's expectations rather than living the life in the way that God designed us to live, full of life, full of vibrancy, full of color. And we've looked at it over the last few weeks in a number of different ways. We started off by looking at it through our emotions and how sometimes we don't pay attention to our emotions and treat them as gifts from God, which they are. And we need to learn to treat them that way and understand how to relate to our emotions. We dealt with it from the idea of uh, we all face dark times. And in those dark times, uh, we, we come to God and we, we, we just have tons of questions and it seems like God's not around. And how do we deal with those times? And we talked about it from the standpoint of the dysfunction of our family, honoring our family dysfunction and, and learning how to identify those things in our life that we just assume because that's all we've ever known, but they're really driving an unhealthiness in our life that leaves us a little bit dull, a little bit dead. We're going to talk about the rhythm of life today. And, uh, and it, what we're talking about really is the backbone to putting together the two things we've talked about, the idea that we can be deeply reflective and, and deeply contemplative, and how do we put those together in this force that's going to help us to pull out of this 24-7 world that we live in? Did you, have you ever thought about it? Did you realize that 24-7 was not a popular term other than in some manufacturing sec- sectors until about a decade ago? And now all of a sudden, we'll all talk about how we live in this 24-7 world where we're just running constantly. We're always in a hurry. We're always busy. We're always doing something. We, we, and, and we're always complaining about it. We're going, when will life slow down? When will it be different? Is this all there is? Are we just going to run from one thing to the next, and that's just going to be what life is? And we ask ourselves, how do we get off this ride, this pell-mell train wreck we're headed on? And some of us don't don't probably even admit necessarily that it's a train wreck because we like the fast pace. We tend to love that. But the problem is that 
we don't realize that that train going that fast is just spinning deeper and deeper into that strip mine and it's not taking us where we want to go in the end. And at some point, we're going to hit this wall and realize we're in a different place than we thought we were going and where we want to go. We work hard, we play hard, we collapse hard at the end of the day, and we tend to live life always on, always on empty, living on, living on a quarter of a tank or less instead of living life full. Instead of living fully in the present, most of us are always living on our way to something or to somewhere. See, our culture says that life and success and love and meaning are, are all this thing that we're achieving for, this thing in the future, and it tells us, it defines us what we're supposed to do, and, and we're always pursuing that. But today we're going to introduce a couple habits that can actually help us live life on full, live life fully in the present, and live life with a sense of peace and a sense of joy and combine this deep reflection on ourselves and this contemplation in a way that really radically changes our lives. The first habit we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about it from a historical name. It's been used for centuries in the church world, and it's called the daily office. This is not something new. In fact, it's not even the guys who created this term daily office weren't even the first ones to create this or its habit. In fact, we can go all the way back to Daniel in uh, the Old Testament in 610. He talks about this. He says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Some translations say, as was his custom. In other words, he had this habit three times a day, pausing, interrupting the fast pace of life, and seeking God and getting his heart right with God. Now think about it. Daniel is this guy who at 17 years of age was taken from Israel into captivity in Babylon. He was the brightest of the bright. He was put in their equivalent of the University of Babylon that day. And, it was, and the whole intent was to, to change his thinking, to change his faith, to change everything about him to conform to the culture he was in. And when you read the Bible, actually, the term Babylon throughout the Bible from that time forward is actually used all the way through the book of Revelation to signify the idea that our culture around us, the cultures in which we live, try to conform us to live according to their ideas and what their truth and what their beliefs are. And that's always at war against learning to live the life the way God designed us to, be li- to live. And we live in that culture. Some of you feel that pressure. You feel the pressure all the time to define yourself by something different than what you believe is right, to live in a way different than what you believe is right and good and best and holy and true. And Daniel's much like us, much like you. He's got a big job. He's got tons on his plate to do. He's got people reporting to him. He's very, very busy, always pressed for time. And he's alone in this place, largely with a very little in the way of a support network. And in his workplace, there's jealousy, there's envy. In fact, you can relate to that. Many of you can relate to people trying to, trying to trick you to get ahead of you, trying to, trying to go around you so they get the boss's attention, they get the promotion, or they get the sale and cut you out of it. And you've got, you've got that kind of stuff, some, some of you going on in your workplace. You can relate to that. And Daniel is in the same place where the people around him are jealous of him and they want to decrease his power so they can increase it. And they trick him by getting the king to pass this decree that says, if you pray to anybody other than the emperor, you will be thrown the lion's den and killed. 
And we learn from this story the habits that make Daniel, in the midst of all that pressure, to conform, in the midst of all that pressure of time demands, the unlimited to-do lists that he can never fully get done, we learn from his life the habits that made him deal with that pressure in a way that allowed him to remain godly, allowed him to remain not just godly and connected to God, but winsome in a pagan culture, in a difficult culture. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He established this habit in his life that made the difference between being conformed and being free to live fully. And, you know, it would be very easy for us to just relegate this to the idea of a quiet time or a devotion because we've all been taught that. We've all been taught that we should have that, and that's good. That's good. But this is much bigger than that. It's a habit that has the power to go against that conforming pressure by causing us to regularly pause and reorient our lives in submission, in trust of the God who is in control, and we're not. The daily office, the term actually was originated because the term office means work. And so in the context of them using this term, they meant that basically to communicate the idea that all of us have one job in life, and that is to seek God. We don't have a different job. You may work in a different field, but all of us have the same job, and that is to seek God. Psalm 27.4, a life verse for me says this, it says, one thing, David says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek. Do you know what that one thing is? Is it to obey? Is it to, is it to come to church? Is it to serve? Is it to read your Bible? All good things? Is it to do something? Then it continues, and it says this, it says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. David says, my work is to seek God. I may be king, but my work is to seek God. And an office is not about getting from God. It's about being with God. Now, many of us think that we should spend time with God and we should have our devotions, right? So we get out our Bible or or we get out our iPod and we start listening to the Bible or we start listening to messages and we read and we study and we try to gain all this information. We try to do all the great journaling to apply and that's all great. It's all good. It should be part of our lives. And then when we get done with that, we decide, oh, let's pray. So we get our list out and pray and we, we go down our list and we pray for all the family members. We pray for our kids. We pray for protection. We pray for our food. We pray for our job. We pray for everything. And by the time we get done with it, We're exhausted, and it just feels like this striving thing we do, this checklist that we check off. And so much of it is of our times with God are focused on getting something from God. We we pray that our we pray prayers to get answers. We pray for our kids to get protected, or or it's about getting things from God, like blessing blessing a goal at work, or blessing a goal we have for our kids at home, or for our finances, or resolving a problem and. And it's all focused on so we can get those things solved, so we can get on with life. Because life is about pressure. Life is about doing. Life is about keeping on moving. Life is about this 24-7 life of demands that if we don't, if we rest too much, we'll get behind. And our office, our work, it says, is to seek God. It doesn't matter if you're 
a, a business owner or an accountant or a teacher or, or a mom who stays home and, and cares for your kid. We all have the same job. Jesus says it this way, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. But most of our to-do lists, most of the things we focus in life are all these things that we're trying to get and their pressure, our to-do list and the, the pressures and expectations of relationships and the things that we think we're supposed to do and we never have time to stop because we're going to let ourselves down or we're going to let somebody else down. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, the point of the daily office is simply this, to be aware and present with God throughout the day, to take times to pause, to be with God, so that even when we're active in that day, we're remembering who's in control and we're not taking that pressure, those anxieties, those worries, those expectations back upon ourselves, but we're leaving them with him. You know, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I know I can wake up so easily during the morning and, and I can go downstairs and help get the kids out, out to school and I can check my iPhone or get on my laptop and look at an email and the day just goes from there. It's like one email after another, one thing after another, one writing after another, one calling somebody after another, and it's just you just get going and the pressure of it, and by the end of the day you go, wow, and you just don't breathe. In fact, some of you are so much that way that you just get going right away and you don't even eat much less take time to pause and care for yourself in relation to God, you can just run and forget to even eat. This whole thing is about a rhythm of regularly stopping, a rhythm of letting us know who can handle our stress, who can take our cares from us, and who's in control, and reorienting ourselves in trust to the only one who is trustworthy, and that's God. It's all over the Bible. David talks about it in Psalm 119. It must have been a time when he was having a really, really bad time in his life because he says, seven times a day, I praise you. Another place in Psalm 55, he says, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. And we know these patterns have been part of the faith and part of the great people of faith's practice for centuries. At at the time of Jesus, we know that the, the synagogues and the Jews taught that you should have morning and midday and evening times when you stop and you pause and you remember who you serve and who is in control and who your focus is. And we know that Jesus participated in those habits. And the first 300 years of the church, we see it all over the writings of the great church fathers, teaching the people to have morning, evening, noon, and evening times where they pause to reorient themselves to who God is to them. We even look at people like St. Patrick in the early 400s. And he, if, you re, if you study St. Patrick, it was less than a generation, barely over a generation, that they changed Uh, They changed an entire pagan nation to Christian. And at the core of that change was the institution in the lives of the people, these habits of orienting themselves to God on a regular basis. Because so often when we approach people to try to win them to Christ, if they're not followers of Christ, or so often maybe even in your journey to Christ or where you're at right now trying to figure out if he's real, you're trying to analyze all these questions and read all these truths and understand the morality and see if it makes sense and all this stuff. But, but this is a God who reveals himself as a God who is knowable, who is personal, 
And it's these very habits that allow us to create space in our lives for him to become real and for us to know that the God who is personal really is personal to us, not just other people. Now, each daily office, if we're going to practice this, entails two things. It entails scripture and it entails silence. It entails silence to, to get rid of the distractions. Our, our to-do list, how many times have you practiced silence and, and you get about two seconds into it and your mind's running on what your next appointment is or your mind's running on the next to-do list, right? It happens all the time. And, and so this whole practice of silence is so critical to our ability to connect with God and to know what's going on inside of us and to orient ourselves rightly to God. So it involves taking times of silence and reflecting on Scripture in that process. It looks many different ways for me. <coughs> Pardon me. You know, in the past couple of weeks, it's looked from me sitting down in my, in my chair and reading a Scripture and just thinking about it. But it always begins for me with a time of quieting myself, usually closing my eyes and saying, God, I just, I just breathe out all the stress. I give all the stress to you. I Take it, Lord. And letting yourself just center in and say, okay, this is who you are, God. And then maybe meditating on the scripture for a little bit. Other times it's involved, you know, I'm a person who most of my life it's been, it's been driven to get everywhere fast. And so a lot of times even when I walk, I walk fast. And sometimes my wife and my kids when we go for a walk have to tell me slow down, you know. This is like supposed to be recreation. And so for me one time in the last week or so it meant going on a walk to nowhere slowly and just listening to the things around me and pondering God and his creation. It happened to be a beautiful night. I was waiting for my daughter at her band practice and it was just after dark and the moon was up and it was bright orange. Anybody see that night? It was just beautiful. And, and in that time of pondering God as being in control and the creator of all, it was one of the most amazing experiences I've had recently where the, the stress of what I'm carrying melts away and the peace of God comes, and the rest of God comes. It can be all sorts of things. Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, the midday one is just standing up at your office and looking out the window and pondering a scripture and looking at the clouds. And it doesn't have to be long. What's, you know, what's the rhythm? Sometimes, I mean, it could be five minutes. It could be 20 minutes. The point is not how long it is. The point is, is it effective? Are you spending enough time to create this space for God to come and be real to you in that moment and for you to release your anxieties, your worries, your to-do lists, your, your definitions of success, the definitions of success that your boss has for you, the deadlines that you have, to release that pressure to him and enter his rest and walk in his peace. You need to figure out what the rhythm is for you. Sometimes it might be two times a day. Sometimes it might be three times a day. Sometimes it might be seven times a day. Luther is attributed this quote. Luther, uh, he, said, he said, I have so much to do today that I need to spend three hours praying instead of two. Did you catch that? I have so much to do today that I need to spend three hours praying instead of two. So maybe when you're really under stress, two days a week might work, but sometimes you might have to do seven times a day of just three-minute pauses, five-minute pauses just throughout the day for you to not live the entire day carrying all that stress yourself and instead 
walking in God's peace and letting him carry it for you. You know, consistent awareness is the goal of what God is doing and the fact a consistent awareness that he's on the throne, not us, and that we can trust him. You know, my concern for myself sometimes and for most of us here is that we tend to live our faith and our spirituality borrowed off of other people's experiences. We have our quiet times, but we, we're, we're, we're always reading Beth Moore or we're always listening to Andy Stanley or we're always listening to somebody on an iPod and we're spending all this time getting information and we're, and we're living off their ideas and their passion and what they say we should do to be good Christians, but, but we're not developing our own personal deep connection with God. And our faith will always seem shallow and hollow until we develop that deep connection with God. In order to do that, it takes habits like this where we create space for us to become aware of his presence, where we create silence, even if we go 30 days with uncertain that we've heard anything from God, where we create space and silence for him to come to us and show himself real to us and speak to us so that he is personal. You know, part of growing into spiritual adults is helping nourish your interior relationship with Jesus. And that requires good habits of creating space and good habits of silence to allow him to be the one that speaks, to allow him to realign our hearts so that we're not in control because we're not. We just think we are. And that we really give him the control. The second habit is the habit of Sabbath. And if you're like me, most of you have heard this throughout your life and, and you've probably dismissed it like me and minimized it like me and said, oh, that's really nice if I can get a half day here and a half a day there or whatever. You know, that's fine and whatever. Well, I, have to, I owe you an apology because for the last two and a half years I have not lived this and not modeled this. And this is a hugely important thing for all of us. And I apologize to you for not modeling Sabbath to you. Sabbath in the Bible is not a nice suggestion. It's not just something that we get to choose if we want to do or not. It's, it's not something that Jesus says, ah, you know, or God says, go ahead, you know, that's a nice thing. It's critical to our health. It's critical to our personal health. It's critical to our spiritual health. It's critical to our family health. In fact, in Genesis 2, the first thing the Bible calls holy, the very first thing the Bible calls holy is Sabbath. And it goes on, if you read the prophets throughout the Old Testament, they frequently connect the sin and the the falling away from God and the corruption that happens to the people of Israel, they connect it frequently to the idea that they are breaking the fourth commandment, which is to have a Sabbath. Because if we do not ever take the time to be reflective, like we've talked about earlier, and to contemplate before God, we will be driven by our emotions to do things that aren't necessarily right. And we will be driven by other people's definitions and the world's definition of right and wrong and success and good instead of God's. And it leads us to destruction. It leads us to sin. That's the reason the prophets confront this whole idea of a lack of Sabbath as being so critical because we know we need this time in order to reorient ourselves to God on a regular basis. Otherwise, we will fall prey to the influences of the world around us and the expectations. In fact, it's it's a very radical commandment. The, The great rabbis all throughout the centuries have basically said this about it. They said, 
without the fourth commandment, which is the commandment of the Sabbath, you cannot do the other nine of the Ten Commandments. It's been that important in the theology over the centuries. Exodus 28 is where it's given in the Ten Commandments, and it reads this. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy, meaning that the time is different than the rest of our time. It's different than how we spend the rest of our time. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Sabbath is not just a day off from work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord, and it has certain qualities to it. Notice first in the Sabbath rhythm what our life, that our life is work and rest is commanded, not a suggestion. You're not just a doing machine. You know, and, and when, we, when we violate this one, the Bible clearly teaches that, it's, that, that we first and foremost sin against ourselves. In fact, Jesus says this, that the the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's it's a gift from God to you. It's not like he's saying, do this to please me. Do this because you have to in order for me to love you and be pleased. He's saying it, this is my gift to you. I want you to experience this. I've made you to love this. Because on the Sabbath, we get to let go of control of getting everything done. And let God be the one on the throne. Let God be the one who takes care of us. Let God be the one who brings the jobs and provides for us, even though we take a day off from work. Our culture says that you are what you do, and what you have, and what you have a result, as a result of what you do defines success, the material things, the influence, the resume you get, the, the power you get, the relationships you get. If you don't do Sabbath, you actually buy into the conforming lie of our culture that you are what you do. We need Sabbath to get centered and oriented that I am not my work. That's not what defines me. I am not what I do. My life is God, and my value and work is what God wants me to do, but that's not who I am. And there's four qualities to Sabbath keeping. The first is simply we have to stop for a 24-hour period, which basically means for all of us on this pell-mell train going somewhere, if we don't plan and prepare for Sabbath, we will not have Sabbath because we will just get caught up in our to-do list. We will just not get things done and, and be forced to continue on our way. The second one is is rest. So 24, stop for a 24-hour period. The second quality is, is we rest. And, and that begs the question for each of us to answer, what is work to us? How do you define work? Now, some of you may work in a cubicle all week, and you may come home and gardening is really replenishing. And that's not work to you. It's a wonderful thing that's a great thing for you to do on the Sabbath. Others of you may work in a cubicle and you come home and, and your to-do list has got weed and spray and pick and pluck and the gardening is just another to-do list and it is just stressful. And for you to do that on the Sabbath is work. You have to determine what is rest and what is not for you. You need to rest from your multitasking. 
needed to rest from your work. You need to rest from your to-dos. And if you're, if you're the boss, you need to rest from your cell phone and your email with everybody asking you what to do and when to do it and how to do it and trust that God's going to help your people make a decent decision. And if not, it's recoverable when you get back after the Sabbath. And you just let it go. Let the distractions go away. For me, sometimes that means that I have to not even look at my iPhone because if I even see that I've got a voicemail, it starts bringing back to memory the tasks that I have to do. If I even see that I've got email, it starts bringing back the stress of the to-do things that I didn't get done. And you have to somehow compartmentalize yourself to let the distractions go and truly rest. And isn't it a wonderful idea resting one day a week 52 days a year, 10 years and 70 years if you live 70 years. Think about it. That's, that's 10 years of snow days. And why do we love snow days? It's because we can't go shopping. Well, if you're good in the ice and snow, you probably still go shopping because you know nobody else is there and you can get it done really fast, which just means you're accomplishing your to-do list. But really, the true snow day is we sit at home, right? And we just relax. And it's even sometimes nice when there's no power because everybody's face isn't glued to the TV and we actually play and we interact and there's just something beautiful about that, isn't there? That's the reason we love it. And God says, I want you to have that once a week. The third characteristic of Sabbath is we delight. We delight in life. We delight in God's creation. We delight in the gifts he gives us. We delight in the food. We delight in the family, the relationships, the music, the playfulness, the nature around us. We just delight in what he's given us. We take time to enjoy it. And the fourth is that we contemplate. Sabbath is a God-centered. We get to taste eternity, in a sense, every Sabbath because we let go of all the stress, all the distractions and focus on God and how good he is and how he cares for us. And we get this little taste of heaven every Sabbath. Sabbath for us is as radical today as it was for the people in Exodus when they got it coming out of Egypt. Think about it. The people, in, the people in Exodus, as they're coming out of Egypt, they've been in 400 years of slavery, 400 years of working seven days a week at the power of the whip, or 400 years of working seven days a week to try to get ahead so you got a job where they weren't going to whip you. And then God comes to them in the desert and says, in order for you to be free of the bondage of Egypt, in order for you to be healthy and free of everything you've lived for the last 400 years, for you to be transformed and discover the life I have for you, you need this in your life every week, and it won't happen without it. And it's the same for us. We long for transformation in our lives. We long to be free of things. We long to be whole. We long for rest and peace. And we won't have it if we don't practice the habits God has asked us to practice, to know him, to trust him. So what day of the week is it? Well, for most of you, it's probably Saturday through Sunday evening. That's not for me. That's not my Sabbath, that's for sure. You know, I'll do it on Friday or Saturday, and, and can you move it? Sure, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I usually try to do it on Friday this week. I ended up doing it on Saturday. You know, so it's not, this is not about legalism. This is not about God telling you, you must do this. This is about God saying, here's a gift. Open it. Enjoy it. Revel in it. Smile. Take the gift, please, is what he's saying to us. The daily office 
the Sabbath, silence, getting free of the distractions. They're all critical gifts that God wants us to have so that we can experience his life and his transformation. And sometimes the greatest barrier is the people around us. Have you ever walked into a room where somebody's got their to-do list and you just get caught up in it? It's like a tornado and it just consumes you. Come on, guys, honey-do lists and, and women, you've got, you, you, that happens too when you're around your husband sometimes, right? It's not just a one-way thing. I mean, we get caught up in the pell-mell chaos of other people around us. You know what? In order to experience both the daily office and the Sabbath, we're going to have to sometimes just say no and make a stand and say, no, I'm not going to take that to-do list on for you today. I'm not going to do that for you today. I'd be glad to help you with it tomorrow or the next day. If you're here today and you're not sure of your faith, you haven't made a faith decision, you're not really sure if Jesus is who he says he is, you're here because you're a seeker, you're interested, you're thinking about it. The reality is... um, These habits will lead you to that decision. You can can answer all the questions. You can debate all the theology. But God wants to be personal to you and to discover him as a personally compelling Lord that you want to follow requires that even before you believe, you start to practice these habits of seeking him and creating space in your life for him to show himself to be real to you. And he will. We're not here to convince you. I don't want to convince you. I want you to be convinced, to experience God yourself. So today, just as kind of an application for our message, I want to just practice some silence. I want us to practice facing silence. And, you know, so what? So If you're here and you can manage to get rid of the distractions for two seconds, great, cheer. If you can get it for five seconds, great, before they start coming back. You know, maybe a couple weeks from now you'll get up to a minute or, and then you have a bad week and you'll go back to five seconds. The, the point is not how, how you perform this. The point that God wants to draw us to in both Sabbath and daily office is for us to have an intentionality of habit to create space for him. And over time we will learn to do silence and to sense his presence and hear his voice better. So I don't want you to get into this performance thing right now while we practice this and you start thinking, oh man, I got this and this and this to do and I just offended that person yesterday and I haven't taken care of it. Don't worry about that. Just do your best as we practice silence to just gently put those things aside. When they come back, gently put them to the side again, okay? And in a minute when we start this, I'm going to ask you to initially close your eyes and do what I think is just a really healthy thing for all of us to do just to pay attention to yourself for a moment. Where's my stress? What's that stress all about? What am I feeling? And just, just quietly give it to God and ask God to take it away and let it melt away. And then we're going to have a scripture on the, on the screen. It's going to be Psalm 130, and it's going to be a, kind of the, putting two, two of those sections of Psalm 130 together. And it just says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And because the Lord... It, his unfailing love, I'll wait for him. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for completing your dream? Are you waiting for completing your to-do list? Are you waiting for that promotion? 
Are you waiting to have enough money in the bank to say, I can do this? Are you waiting for your kids? What are you waiting for? All those things we wait for, we're waiting for, are pressure points in our life. And God's saying, I want you to wait for me. When we're done with the silence, I'll close in prayer. So until then, feel free to keep your eyes closed or look up and, you know, maybe God's going to say, maybe God's going to speak to you through different words and want you to ponder a different word at different times. So feel free. Let's just, let's just close our eyes and let's just wait in silence. Father, you have created us in our very DNA, in the way you created us in your image, to have a rhythm of work and of rest that you say is a gift to us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to step off that pell-mell train wreck that we're living life on and to discover that rhythm and to discover the beauty of that gift that you want us to have, that you want us to live in. Lord, that we would experience fullness of life, not just striving for something in the future, not just striving for a goal, but living fully today in the present. And that we would know what your scripture means to us when it says, don't carry the cares, don't worry, cast it all on me. That we would know what your scripture says when it, when it says that I want you to enter my rest Lord, that we would know what that rest is like, that we could walk in that rest even in the midst of the huge pressure that many of us face in our jobs, in our families, in our homes, in our communities. Lord, that even in the midst of pressure, we would walk with a calm rest in our spirit because we know you, because we know you're in control because we know that you have a good plan for us, a plan for a hope, a plan for a future, and a plan for the present to be with you. And Lord, that through us living this, you would not only transform our lives, but you would transform our communities that are so driven to conform to definitions of success that leave them empty, that leave them dry, that lead to divorce, that lead to fractured relationships, that lead to wealth with no meaning. Lord, that you would use us as we follow you and know your presence to radically change our families and our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, I want to draw your attention. We have two new small groups, and I'd love for you, if you are not involved in a group, to get involved in one. We have uh, Tom and Joyce Venn. I don't know if Tom is still here. Uh, he was the drummer, and I think he had to leave. I forgot to mention him second service last week. They are meeting Monday evenings, and all they are doing is they are spending time reflecting on and discussing what we discuss on Sundays, just trying to live it out and apply it better. So we'd love to have you join that group. Uh, we also have a group starting not this week, but next week, led by Jenny and Mary. I don't know if Mary... That, right, Mary's right behind Jenny. Why don't you guys stand so everybody knows who you are. 
And uh, Jenny, by the way, is my assistant working full-time now at the office, so if you call in, you'll get to know her, and she is a, a lovely person, a lovely face, and wonderfully helpful. So, um, But Mary and Jenny are going to start leading a group, and they're going to focus simply on helping us understand and live great spiritual habits of connecting with God. And i got to tell you, Mary and Melissa Schaefer led our staff and the staff of WARM and the staff of uh, an, uh, another uh, nonprofit organization in the area in a, in a spiritual retreat day. It was an entire day of practicing various approaches to to talking with God and getting to know his presence. And it was amazing. They have so many ways. They had like 30 different stations in here set up. And it was just an amazing day of connecting with God. So I want to encourage you, if you want to grow in learning to hear God's voice, in learning to commune with him, learning to have good spiritual habits, why don't you consider their group and just go talk to him after service. If you're here and need somebody to pray for you, would like somebody to pray for you, we'd be happy to do that. Uh, Have a great day. Uh, If you want prayer, come on down and there'll be a few people here. So have a great week.